Welcome back to These Are The Words. I'm Eric Groon. And we're listening to music of angel, unconditional love of guardian angels. Make your wish come true. 1111. 1111 Hertz. And we're reading Precious Vessels of the Holy Spirit. And we're moving on to the last saint of the book. St. George of Drama. His life. The blessed St. George Karslides was born in Argyropolis. Argyropolis. Pontus in 1901. His faithful parents, Sava and Sophia, baptized this, this, baptized this, their second son, with the name Athanasios, Athanasios. They died when he was still very young, and so it was his pious grandmother who raised him, instilling in him a holy fear of God and a fervent love for the church's divine services. Athanasios's birthplace, Pontos, is a place with a great spiritual heritage from the earliest years of Christianity. Great fathers of the church, such as the three great hierarchs, Saint Basil the Great, Gregory the Theologian, and John Chrysostom spent a good amount of time there, struggling in the ascetic life. In addition to its rich history of asceticism, it also has a rich history of martyrdom. The most recent addition being the sufferings of the Christians under the Turkish yoke. In such a difficult period of persecution, the young Athanasios was particularly fortunate to live in Argyropolis, which is one of the few regions of Pontos that managed to preserve a certain amount of freedom. There, under the positive influence of the important monastery of Panagia Sumela, in addition to two others, Peristeriota and St. John Vazelonos, the Christians managed to raise and educate their young people in the faith and culture of their ancestors. At the tender age of five, Athanasios began tending the family's flocks. With patience and love, 
he bore the harsh treatment of his older brother, who made life difficult for both Athanasios as well as for his younger sister Anna. Although painful, the loss of their parents and their brother's mistreatment of them bore spiritual fruit, for they wisely accepted these trials with love and faith in God. When Anna died at a young age, light emanated from her grave, drawing villagers to the cemetery. When her remains were exhumed three years later, her bones were found to have the same beautiful yellow color of the relics of those the church has glorified as saints. Thus, Athanasios's early days were permeated both with the piety and holiness of lives dedicated to God, as well as with the pain of the corruption and instability of this life. <clears throat> this very realistic understanding of life was to prove to be a firm foundation <coughs> excuse me for Athanasios's future spiritual development. The situation at home having become increasingly difficult, Athanasios, at the age of seven, decided to run away. One winter's day, with his few possessions in a bag, he left home. God, of course, did not abandon him, but saved him from various perils and led him to a family of crypto-Christians. They cared for him and loved him as a son, a love that increased when the father of the family had a dream in which a nobleman informed him that Athanasios would bring many souls to God. <clears throat> One day, St. George, who would protect Athanasios, and care for him throughout his life, appeared to him and told him to mount his horse. With the aid of St. George, Athanasios traveled to Tiflis, Georgia, <clears throat> where a pious priest cared for him. The priest, amazed at the young boy's spiritual maturity and gifts, clothed him in the cassock which, <clears throat> from the age of nine, he would never abandon. <clears throat> Soon afterwards, he began his monastic life at a Georgian monastery where, though much younger than the other brethren, he matured quickly in the spiritual life. He patiently waited nearly ten years to be officially tonsured a monk, which took place in July of 1919. He was given the new name Simeon. During his tonsure, the bells of the monastery began to ring of their own accord, yet another sign of divine providence for this soul which had suffered 
and which would suffer so much. The continuation of the young Simeon's sufferings were not slow in coming, as his monastery was soon closed by the communists. The monks were incarcerated in a wretched dungeon-like prison. At one point, Simeon was taken out of the prison, stripped, and with his hands tied behind his back, was paraded through the streets as the people mocked him. He was returned to prison where he awaited his martyrdom. The imprisoned monks and clergy asked permission at Pascha to go to church. Having been denied this, they fervently prayed for continued strength in their struggle. As they chanted, Christ is risen, the prison shook and the doors opened of their own accord. <clears throat> the inhabitants of that area hastened to see what was happening and beheld three holy figures who, chanting, Lord have mercy, and holding a cross, were processing in a circle above the prison. <clears throat> the vision lasted until dawn, when the captives were prepared for execution. They were tied together and led to the edge of a cliff. The firing squad took aim and fired. Three bullets hit Simeon, but they only grazed him and did little harm. He was dragged off the cliff, however, by the weight of the others. Miraculously, he fell without being killed and thus escaped death. <clears throat> he was soon imprisoned again, but was eventually released through the efforts of the pious wife of a Russian. He was tended to by devout Christians, and on his recovery was ordained priest in October of 1925 by Metropolitan John Tsia Paraski of Grozia Sheta. <clears throat> or Grozia Skita and given the new name George. By this time he had acquired the reputation of being a God-bearing elder. And so people flocked to him. Although his life continued to take many unexpected turns, he always remained faithful to the life of prayer and pious spiritual struggling he had learned as a child. This remained the basic fabric of his life, despite the various external conditions that were forced upon him. The saint was very strict with himself throughout his life eating mostly wild greens and sleeping very little. <clears throat>
he was ever faithful to monastic poverty, to the extent that even when his cassock had basically disintegrated, he gratefully declined a friend's offer to make him a new one. <clears throat> he was also fully dedicated to his new responsibilities as a priest. He would rise at midnight to pray and prepare for the celebration of the Divine Liturgy. He served the liturgy with great attention, slowly and with care, that the proper spirit be cultivated and preserved. During the preparation of the elements, God would inform him of the spiritual state of those he commemorated, both the living and the dead. With great pastoral discernment, he would pass the information on to his parishioners, either to encourage them to pray more fervently for the souls of the deceased or to bring sinners to repentance before bringing the Holy Communion out to the faithful. He would ask that those who wanted to commune come to the left-hand door of the iconoclastes of the icon of the iconostasis sorry iconostasis where he would read the prayer of absolution over them and anoint them with oil like other contemporary elders and many saints throughout Christian history, St. George would sometimes be seen levitating during the Divine Liturgy. While he celebrated, he would often be visited by the saints who would serve with him. There are countless accounts by parishioners of the saints who made their presence felt while St. George served in 1929, with the help of close friends, St. George managed to go to Greece. Although we cannot be certain of his reasons for going, we may hypothesize that one reason was his failing health, which, because of his continuous imprisonment and persecutions, had deteriorated a great deal. <clears throat> <clears throat> Not yet 30 years of age, he was already extremely weak and semi-paralyzed. He had essentially lost the use of his legs. After passing through many difficulties on his arrival in Greece, he finally managed to settle in the village of Sipsa, now Taxiarchus, near Drama in northern Greece. Despite his terrible physical condition, many of the pious faithful recognized the sanctity and virtuous life of St. George and were drawn to him as to a source of water in the desert. Various families in the village, through whose care and herbal remedies his legs were partially healed, took him in. In 1936, the saint managed to make a pilgrimage to the Holy Lands. While there, 
In addition to venerating the sites of Christ's life and sufferings, he also visited various monasteries and hermitages. In a hermitage near the monastery of St. Sava, God miraculously informed a hermit that the monk, St. George, passing by was his nephew. <clears throat> With great joy they embraced, and the saint asked his uncle for guidance whether he should stay in the world to serve the people or escape to the monastic solitude of the holy mountain. His uncle counseled him to remain in the world, to serve the world that had fallen into such spiritual darkness. On his return from the holy lands, the saint joyously recounted the events of his pilgrimage. He continued to be housed by the pious villagers until 1938, when the Greek government made a permanent distribution of farmland. St. George was given an acre of land on which he managed, always with the help of the villagers, to build the foundations of a humble monastery dedicated to Christ's ascension. The monastery was officially consecrated in 1939. <clears throat> Most of the accounts of St. George's biography come from this second stage of his life. During his pastoral work among the people of Sipsa and, more generally, in the region around Drama, there are many, many accounts of his spiritual gifts that he used for the spiritual and material benefit of those who came to him. Here we will relate just a few of the more instructive ones. Among the many people who flocked to the saint were some that had been to see psychics and mediums. Having the gift of spiritual discernment, he realized their sin and refused to receive them, knowing that they, view knowing that they viewed him as just another medium. When he realized that those coming would be open to correction, he gently but adamantly insisted on their rejection of the, of the counsels of demons. <clears throat> the saint foresaw the coming of World War II to Greece and wept especially heavy tears the week before war was declared. He also foresaw the civil war that would follow the Second World War, warning his spiritual children at the end of the war, Don't rejoice! Don't rejoice! The things coming now are worse! During the civil war, the rebels came to destroy the village of Sipsa and to, and to kill its inhabitants. Their leader repented, however, saying, they are poor people, why should we harm them? When they returned to their headquarters, the other rebels were upset and another group went to destroy the village. They had the same experience of repentance as did a third group that went. As it became clear later on, the saint had foreseen the coming danger and had instructed the villagers to take an icon of the Panagia in procession around Sipsa, 
beseeching God for the protection of the village, the villagers had heeded his word, and in this way the village was saved. Many years after the war, in 1958, a man visited the saint. He had just bought a lottery ticket, and as he traveled to the monastery, he thought about what he would buy if he won the lottery. As soon as he arrived, the saint told him, You have a lottery ticket in your pocket. Throw it away and never buy lottery tickets again. I won't allow you to buy the things that you have in mind to buy, should you win. <clears throat> also, don't buy the plot of land you thought of buying in Thessalonica, but remain in your village. On another occasion, a woman visited him, and before she even managed to greet him, he told her, Your hands are on fire. They are burning, but we don't see the fire. What work do you do? She told him that he that she was a, a midwife. How many children have you killed? He then asked. She denied having killed any. Shall I tell you? Five. He went on to tell her in which villages and of which mothers the children were 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 whom she had aborted. Of which mothers the children were whom she had aborted. Speechless, the lady wept and through active repentance was reconciled to God. One day a lady brought some quinces to the saint. A pregnant woman had stopped her along the way and asked for some but she refused. When she arrived at the monastery and gave them to the saint, he told her, On the way the gate of paradise opened, and you closed it. St. George, as a faithful disciple of Christ, was not only dedicated to prayerful intercession on behalf of the people, but also to caring for their material needs. He would do all he could to provide for those in need, beyond giving out money, packages of food, clothing, and so on, the saint would also buy material and sew rugs, sweaters, and socks for those in need. During the Second World War, when food, when food was scarce and hunger widespread, the saint would help prepare food in large pots which he would send to the hungry inmates of the local prison. <clears throat> when, when, when pilgrims came to the monastery, he would care for them as a mother cares for her children, providing for their material needs first before caring for them spiritually. He would often prepare food ahead of time, and because of his spiritual gift of foresight, the quantities were always correct. In early 1959, the blessed saint began to prophesy his upcoming repose. He prepared his spiritual children, strengthening them for the trials and struggles 
they would undergo before their final repose. To a nun who was his spiritual daughter, he counseled, Although you will suffer, act nicely towards people. They will steal from you and will slander you. They will accuse you and you will suffer many other things. Don't ask anyone for a reason. Only pray for them and keep vigil for God to forgive them. As the day of his repose approached, he gave specific directions for his burial and informed his spiritual children of the day and time he would depart. On the eve of his repose, he asked to be helped to go into the monastery church. There he venerated the icons and partook of the holy mysteries one last time. Returning to his cell, he made the final preparations for his departure. That night, a few hours after midnight on November 4, 1959, the Blessed St. George made his departure for his heavenly homeland. News of the saint's repose spread quickly, and many people hurried to pay their last respects to their benefactor, from whose hands they had received so much good. Although the saint had become greatly beloved of the local people and was regarded by many as a righteous man of God, no one came to live the monastic life with him. Thus, after his repose, the monastery he had worked so hard to establish fell into disrepair until 1970. When Metropolitan Dionysios of Drama undertook its renovation, since that time the monastic life has been re-established with a monastic sisterhood dedicated to Christ, their monastic calling, and to the blessed memory of the monastery's founder, St. George. Okay, we'll continue in the next episode with St. George of Drama Councils. Wow, what a life that he lived. And he died as he died not alone, but nobody lived the monastic life with him. But he was not alone. He was with Christ, with Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Thank you for listening. God bless you, my friends. Thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you for recommending this book. And, uh, have a good night.